1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi everyone, welcome to Dan Snows History. This is a repeat episode of the podcast. we are reaching deep back into the archive. We are talking to National Treasure, comedian, historian, broadcaster Al Murray. He's a great friend of this podcast, he's a great friend of mine, and he now has his own brilliant World War II podcast, We Have Ways of Making You Talk, with the equally brilliant James Holland, so go and check that out. And we talked to him a couple of years ago about his love of history, his journey towards history, and his personal area of fascination, which is Arnhem. He's obsessed with Arnhem, the British-Polish Allied defeat at Arnhem in the autumn of 1944, in fact, which was 76 years ago this week so it's uh it's a timely repeat this one we've produced hundreds of episodes of this podcast about the first and second world wars and so what we decided to do is launch a new podcast it's presented by historian professor james rogers he's probably the world's leading expert on drones, by the way. He's been on this podcast a few times. Professor Rogers will be presenting this podcast called The World Wars. The World Wars, it's all of our episodes about the First and Second World War, talking to veterans, historians, people that lived through it, civilians, politicians. And it's also new episodes released each week that he'll be recording with some brilliant guests as well. So please go and check out The World Wars, part of the History Hit Network. Like it, rate it, all that junk, wherever you get your pods. In the meantime, everyone, here is the brilliant Al Murray. Enjoy. So um, it all goes back to you, you, you know, fame, very famous comedian, etc. History. I've, I've been to many of your gigs. History, history runs like a, like the writing through a stick of rock through those gigs. <laughs> but you have written a great book about watching Orphans with your dad. I mean, is that how, is that was that your entry into history?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, my family. Um, uh, is a family that talks about history at, at Sunday lunch, um, often to the, the annoyance of outsiders. Um, uh, and so I grew up in an environment that was, where you would... And mainly talking about the Second World War, where that was the, a big topic of discussion that uh, and, and, and an argument as well, as much as anything else. So, um, uh, yeah. And then um, I, my, I, it was on my radar when I was about eight because I went to see A Bridge Too Far at the cinema. And my father... Was an airborne soldier in the fifties and knew a load of the characters from the Battle of Arnhem from First Airborne Division. In fact, a Captain Mackay, who was at the bridge in the school, fought in the school of the bridge, was my father's brigadier at one point, and Dad remembers him being shouted at by this guy. Anyway, so we went to the cinema to see this because it was a portrayal of the whole maroon thing that my father, the maroon machine that my father was part of, um, and he sat sat there basically. Um, spluttering and cursing at the movie. And there was a great moment that I, I remember very clearly when the tank comes over the bridge and it's supposed to be a tiger and it's a leopard from the 90s, Good. leopard one God. from the 1960s. And he, and he went, it's the wrong bloody tank. And, and so that's, that's where it all comes from, from that moment in the cinema, growing up, going to Pegasus Bridge when I was, when I was nine or 10 you know, uh, Waterloo, I think when I was 12, this whole thing, you know, st- it, it was unavoidable in my family history. And your grandfather had an interesting job in the war as well. Well, as far as we know, yeah. this is the thing. Um, my grandfather worked for um, PWE, the Political Warfare Establishment, I th- I think. He was part of the sort of the thing that was going on on around woven Sands and Woburn rather than Bletchley, so they, they were they were the where the governments in exile were and all that sort of thing. And he was involved in black radio. He was in Vienna for some reason in May nineteen forty five. We don't really know why. Um, he crops up all over. And there's a picture of him in a major's uniform in Cairo in nineteen forty two or something, and he wasn't in the army. So uh, who knows? And there's even this. There's even a story that there's a story about someone involved with the Yugos- with some Yugoslav partisans who'd. who'd who'd kind of crossed the line. Oh, there's a historian in, in Aberystwyth I talked to about this, about what my grandfather got up to. Some historian, this guy who crossed the line in, di- in his dealings with the Yugoslav partisans and then died mysteriously, possibly a heart attack. And my grandfather was around at the time. And who knows? And if you speak to my uncle, my uncle will say, oh, oh there's definitely something fishy there. And he speaks to my father, and my father's like, absolutely not, he was definitely not involved in that. And it's all quite it's all quite murky and quite interesting, as well as having been a BBC man in the 30s before the war, so uh, literally working alongside um, Dimbleby Senior and doing all that sort of stuff.
1: I mean, my career would take such time for the better if I left the BBC and just had You <laughs> in Yugoslav,
0: Yugoslav partisans <laughs> Oh, be joyful. It's all it, it, But what's interesting about it is when, when he died, my father, uh, my, he'd asked my father to burn his papers, personal papers when he died, and my dad did. Oh. Because my dad's well, from that. Would you have just gone, sure, dad? he was from that molder person that um, if his father asked him to do something like that, even with, you know, it'd be an absolute treasure trove of oh. stuff. Absolutely, that's what you want me to do, and he did it. Well, Yeah, yeah. And we've since been researching him. And it's hard to find anything out because it's all it was all secret. Well, on, I, I burned burnt it all son. Yeah, exactly, well, okay, exactly. Exactly, exactly.
1: Kafka esque. Uh so and, and you're you are in your own right an expert, I would say, on Arnhem. I mean you you, you cross oh. you've crossed swords with, with the best of them. We've had Anthony <laughs> Beaver on the podcast saying it was all it was all disastrous from the start, it never have worked. Um, the whole thing was a joke. Where do, you, where do you just quickly where do you stand on that controversy? If they'd
0: gone a week earlier, I think we'd be looking at a very different story. With that op, with that operational plan, right? If they'd gone a hop, just a week earlier, because well, the less... Germans the Germans were still on the hop a week earlier, and there's a week's coagulation in in certainly in the German command structures. Um, there's, 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 there is there is. There's a very interesting book of um, uh, essays that John Buckley um, has edited about Arnhem. It was in the last couple of years. And one of the essays is called A Week Too Soon? And then there's... I mean, the other thing is there's the controversy over the airlift plan. And was Uh, that what the army wanted or what the air force... Yeah, 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 yeah. And the thing is, is, there's an RAF historian who's since gone through all that, a guy called Seb Ritchie, who's since gone through the actual genesis of the airlift plan. And and what's very interesting about it is the army ask for that airlift plan. They say they want... that. What went wrong in Normandy is we... uh, What went wrong in Sicily is the drops were scattered. What went wrong in Normandy is the drops were scattered. Could we just all land in the same place together just this once, please? And the Air Force give them exactly what they want. And then, of course, after the event, the army blame it all on the Air Force. They wouldn't let us land where we wanted to. But that's not, not really what happened. And Ritchie also looks into the into the, one of the intelligence myths, which is the overflights. And he's because he's an RAF historian and he's obviously thought enough's enough. So he's gone through all the RAF reconnaissance logs for overflights, you know, where they take picture of, uh, uh, of Panzer SS units yeah. around on them. He cannot find a single flight that matches that description. He cannot find the photographs that matches. He's not to say it didn't happen, but there's no record of those flights that Urkut, that, that the intelligence officer, claims to have ordered happening so that's quite interesting and and and, and again that's the RAF going because he's an RAF historian and you, you know they've 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 copped all the yeah. literal and uh metaphorical flack at, uh, around the Arnhem, Arnhem op so he's just going on I mean let's just actually look at these things and that's that's really interesting I think Beaver's probably right it, it, it but uh, but I think it's the it's the cons- not the conception that's the problem with Arnhem it's the it's the um it's the realization, the actualization. You know, if, if if they if they decided that a staggered lift was a bad idea, and that what you do is the assets you land on D-Day at Arnhem, that that the air landing brigade and the and the parachute brigade, if you if you decide they're both going for the bridge rather than half of them having to stay behind and defend landing zones because of your second stage lift, you've got a more chance. You've got more chance of getting more people to the bridge, which is what it's all about. So. I, I think that there's still there's still miles to go with uh, with what you can say about Arnhem. I think it's not it's not settled.
1: <laughs> That's
0: clear. <laughs> I, I also, whenever I read military history, I think the best
1: and most the most trivial but also the best expression is, uh, "Victory has a thousand fathers. Oh, yeah. defeat is an orphan." Yeah. And and Arnhem now, everybody can tell you what an absolute, an absolute. Oh, but I mean, Manstein or you know Rundstedt's thrust through the Ardennes uh, that reached the coast, near you know, Guderian charge crossing that it, it was it was an extraordinarily risky yep. uh, and and talk about one single you know MSR yep. and oh the Western, yeah, yeah, yeah and yet it's hailed as the greatest victory. It's the most oh. brilliant piece oh, yeah. of military operation. But
0: but to which I would say the the, the thing that precedes Arnhem is the greatest ever armored armored breakout, which yeah. is the ar- breakout after Falaise, and the decision you, if you. you I think the problem with Arnhem is exactly as you say. We look at it now. You, oh, it's obviously never going to work. If you're making that decision in late August, yeah, when the Germans let, seem when to be when the Germans, are, when they are done for, yeah. as far as you can tell, you've destroyed them in the West, and you're doing—I can't remember which which div- division it does—ninety yeah, miles, records, at, yeah, 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 does yeah, ninety yeah. miles in a day. So no wonder you're thinking, well, just this, this is just going to keep going. And right, and the, from 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 September 1939, on the Allied side, there's been this idea that the Germans are going to collapse like a pack of cards any minute. Right from the beginning of the Second World War, and and that that idea is still doing around six years, like four years, five years later, isn't it? Shouldn't be a surprise, I think. Well, and also, you know that the Russians
1: are the Soviets are are conquering and c- committing a, unimaginable brutality in, in, in yeah. see, so, yeah. so, if you can get to Berlin first, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's forgi- I find it. I find that's so
0: fascinating. Well, I find it. I, find it, well, it. I, find it I, I mean, in the end, I find it a, forg- a forgivable mistake on Montgomery's part. Although, actually, I mean, and, and of course, you know, failure, failure in this in, in this instance isn't an orphan. The, the, it, the, the buck is laid at the stops sure. in Montgomery all the it's time. A parent although, parent. although, although, let's be honest, Ike Ike approved it. So, you know, if we're going to if we're going to look for where where the buck stops, it's got to be it's got to be with Eisenhower. He so says, "Okay, go for it." And 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 you know, but this 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 will never end. This will go on forever. And um, at Chalk Valley, at, at, at the History Festival, we had a morning of airborne forces stuff and the airborne archivist from the museum in Duxford comes over from the Air Assault museum and says oh you must come and have a look at this stuff because the thing no one likes to talk about is how bad officer relations were within first airborne how no one was talking to anybody how they all there was a scottish clique and there was a a, a parachute clique and a glider clique and they're all at each other's throats in the run-up to in the run-up to market garden and then of course because it's all a terrible disaster you're not going to write about that that's not going to get into the history books because it because it would look um because they fought incredibly gallantly, as we as we accept, but it would look like it would look like you were really like um, you were rubbing their noses in it, or adding salt to the wound. So there's still loads more about Arnhem to come out.
1: What I like about you, Alan, is you're, you're I think working at the BBC is slightly because there's a sense there that you can't just keep producing stuff about the Second World War, and so I quite admire guys like you and James Holland who just go, you know what, the Second World War is the largest conflict in the history of the human race. Yeah. It remodelled the city that I grew up in. My oh. own family were involved in it. My, oh, yeah. my, in my case, my dad was nearly killed by a V1 in, in yeah. 43, 44. So it's not surprising that we're quite interested. Well, yes. And, and you, you are just like an unashamed...
0: But by, Yes, but by the same token, where the Second World War sits in our culture at the moment is something well, that, come that, to that. that drives yeah. me mad. Yeah. And um, it's all very well being interested in as a historical event, but using it rhetorically and using it um, politically... Um, at the moment, is wildly out of control and, and something that um, that, that, that really makes, makes on the other hand, as well as I am being very interested, it makes me think, I've got to stop being interested in this. We've got to move on from this somehow or, or historicise it and, uh, uh, you know... Well, which
1: is- but you do that through your... Comedy. We try to. We right, try, yeah, yeah. try to. Yeah. And that's something that confuses people. Yeah. Yeah. Funny enough, I had a conversation this morning when I said <laughs> I'm, 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 I was with the Western Front Association and all these people, massive oh, fans yeah. of Al Murray, but they went. Because they don't understand some bits of your comedy because yeah. they don't kind of get who you are and which yeah. bit is you and which bit isn't and which is yeah. the pub landlord, yeah. which is one of the most recognisable comedy characters in the last you
0: know, 30 years in the yeah. UK. So how do you... Walk well, I like, that the, I like the confusion. I'm, 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 I, you know, um, I, I think a big element in comedy should be mischief, confusion, ambivalence, uh, chaos. We're supposed to be... Comedians aren't supposed to be... Um, uh, po-faced people with the answers to everything—they're supposed to cause so. We're supposed to sow discord and cause mischief, and <laughs> uh, and people are meant to misunderstand you, and then meant to not get the joke. You know, you can't get all the jokes. So I'm I'm quite comfortable with um with the idea that some people don't get it, that some people think what I'm doing is absolutely ghastly. It's all right, it's fine. You know, C- comedians. If you look at the history of jesters, comedians used to have to eat on their own. They weren't allowed to sit even with the musicians. They had to eat on their own because they had no patron. They only had the king as a patron so that, so that they would speak truth to power rather than be the Duke of Norfolk's jester and have other patronage so that, you know, that they could get to the king via the jester. And, and in that respect, comics should Comics should eat alone they shouldn't they shouldn't be they they shouldn't sit with the with the minstrels and the and the jugglers and the and the and all those people they should be on their own wearing their motley. Outfit wearing their tweed and sitting by themselves,
1: <laughs> just just tilting at everyone. Absolutely,
0: and and, and 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 you know, there's a really excellent book about jesters in the English court, and I can't remember who wrote it, but it'll come to me. Um, really, really fantastic book about that, which, which says you know the, the entire this this entire tradition. That, that dies out during the Elizabethan era when everything gets sort of theatricalised, turned into drama. Um, th- there was this tradition of the, you know, the, the fool who had no patron but, but his master so that he could have the licence to say what he wanted to his master. It wasn't answerable to anyone else. And, it's, and, and in a way, if you're, if you're not causing confusion and pissing people off, you're not doing your job right. If you're not taking flat, you're not over the target.
1: Twice a week, every week. Subscribe now and follow me on Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: <laughs> what do you say there? Because you, the pub landlord, is... is <laughs> He like well. What's, I, what's he? <sighs> the pub, the pub land. I mean, it's this is. I mean, I've seen him. I've seen him a lot yeah, of times. Seen a lot of times. And yeah. I see the gleam in the pub landlord's eye when I when I come in late, <laughs> and I know I'm about to get some history related <laughs> banter. Uh, and uh, I've, you've had me on stage. I don't have hundred percent
0: control over him. I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> especially as the evening goes on. Uh, and so, but cause he, because he is he, he he rips apart the metropolitan elite, but he also is as furious in his. Is scathing in his criticism of of you know the the so called the, the, the people that have been left behind you know the people that were we're told gave us Trump and Brexit.
0: Yeah, well, I suppose well, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 trying to. The the, the thing is is I, I when I'm writing it and the, and the way I conceived it, it, it it's first of all supposed to be a piece of entertainment. So you try and make as many different people laugh on as many different levels as you possibly can. But it's also to one in one respect supposed to be like a piece of satire which is which is which is what led to me running for parliament 3 years ago and you can't satirize the po- politics we have in a in a pluralistic um one man one vote democracy without satirizing the p- people who are doing the voting it, it it they're we're all part of the same fruitcake um um and there's lumps of this in the lumps of one thing in a fruitcake in one place lumps of uh, but it's a whole you, you can't have a, you can't just do the politicians you 've got to do the people that vote for them and that and that 's sort of my approach to it and everyone i think to an extent everyone in a pluralistic de- democracy where we kind of have lots of li- liberties and freedoms that don 't exist ever, everywhere else kind of everyone 's fair game and the and the the, the metric of whether you 're punching up or punching down, which is the thing people like to talk about with comedy is is harder to um Work simplistically in in a society like ours. I think, you know, because because if boorish, idiotic people are dominating a debate, just because you're better educated than them doesn't mean you shouldn't take the piss out of them. Because if they're dominating the debate, they have power. They have they have the power. And you're as a comic, you're supposed to take talk truth to power. And if more educated people than you are being a, a, a dominating, you should take the piss out of them too. Or if you know slack slack brained um uh, uh conservatives or pie in the sky socialists are the people in power then you have a duty you know as a comic as the jester as the mischief maker as the disruptor as, you know this problem is you start talking about it, it all sounds quite pretentious quite quickly that that those those should be your targets and that's sort of what i try to do with the pub landlord um i mean often i, I often miss and i often get misunderstood but i kind of so what you've, you've still got to you still got to shoot at the damn thing uh, and you, a uh, history does run through your comedy. I mean, oh yeah. Why,
1: why do you how, how, do you find that people they respond to history? Do you, do you understand what the sort of shared historical stories are? Like you'd make you'd make jokes about the Second World
0: War, but you probably wouldn't make a joke about, the oh, Magna Carta, Corn Laws. is off the, Cor- off the Cor- yeah, limit? No right, one knows Cor- about the Corn Laws. Right, okay. But hey, but there is there is you know like there is a sort of orange squash. Totemistic set of historical things. Henry VIII. You, you, right. If you go to Henry VIII, everyone knows what you're talking about. Uh, I mean, it might it, it might all be wrong, but everyone knows what you're talking about. Head chopping wives. Head chopping wives. Telling the Pope to get knotted. Right. It, <laughs> you know uh, uh, the original Brexit. Whatever you, you you know whatever whatever you want to call it. So so things like that. The Civil War. You you know Oliver Cromwell banning Christmas. Everyone knows about that. Okay. Right. So there's there's a series of things, and 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 because they're those. Everyone knows about that thing. So you, you, we enter the territory of the uses and abuses of history, and which I think is as interesting as history itself. What history gets used for, how it gets abused, how it gets turned around and pointed at us in a different direction, how you know how appeasement is wheeled out as a as a thing we must never do, and the thing is is. Yes, if you agree with that picture of what was happening between thirty six and thirty nine, that is what you should never do. But there's much more to the story of what's called appeasement. Appeasement itself, as, an, as a as a diagnosis of those those three years, it was a political diagnosis from people who wanted to uh, smear, you know, besmirch the Chamberlain government, who you could argue ran this fantastic rearguard action to get to the point where we were able to deal with with, with Nazi Germany. You could argue that. I mean, it's all you can you can toss it in either direction. So so I'm interested in that you know uses and abuses of history. Uh, I, 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 it kind of in a way that comics always have them because you're always looking for cultural cultural touch points where you know you can definitely get people to all they all know about something. Dennis Norden talked you know died quite recently Talk talked about in a really great interview he said he started writing comedy after the Second World War, when you lived in essentially a monoculture because every, everyone had been through the same thing. So finding things for everyone to laugh at was pretty easy, right? And and that version of history is a thing I think everyone has in common. So you can you can push those buttons as a sort of you know, and it's a, it, it's our cultural bathwater.
1: There a you lot go. Of that history. And there you go. I haven't that experience. Don't drink the bathwater, though.
0: That's <laughs> the, where you end up, like Boris Johnson, imagining you're Winston Churchill. Because <laughs> he's definitely drunk the bathwater and may have peed in the bath before he did it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> his, 14, his 14th century,
1: now long repealed laws. Yes,
0: long repealed, but it doesn't matter because no one knows. You know, that's yeah. what he used to he, I mean, he, in a way, he was doing what the Pablanca would do there. You know, I, I used to have this routine where I would. Um, uh, prove historically that that that, that, that the that Great Britain and never never call, he never calls it the UK the pub man, because no one does right. That Great Britain has um, even though he obviously includes Northern Ireland. In it that Great Britain has defeated every single country in the world at war. And I would do he does that as a like and you so you'd say well what about the War of eighteen twelve against the United States and so I'd do a whole load of waffle about the White House being you know attacked burned down by the Royal Marines and blah 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 blah. blah. Um, and anyway, they're our ally and that counts as losing to us. You know, so, so, and, and that's what Boris is doing. He's using one, he's pulling out a thing, going, dazzle, dazzle, look at this, and then constructing an argument, even though it's rubbish. <laughs> and, and you know, it's, it's no coincidence that politicians do this because they're looking for things to they're looking for things either things we all understand or all things we go oh that's interesting and that prime unit wasn't it was he brought yeah everyone goes oh yeah that's interesting no one's heard of it of course they haven't but they also expect it from that brand of conservative yeah anyway he
1: he knows his medieval history and it turned out he didn't yeah well um, who does who knows what happened in the middle ages nobody not really (laughs) did you you ran for um you ran for office
0: Yes, I did. Yeah,
1: well, no. You office. You went, for, uh, office, yeah. you went for office against uh, Nigel Farage, the leader and the, of the UK. And all the other parties. Otherwise, sorry, because, otherwise on other Twitter, it'll yeah, 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 be yeah, like, oh, you're well you're, down, you're sorry, it's Nigel. Yeah.
0: Uh, and how did it go? Remind me, how many votes did you get? 318, which is a Kabbalic number that's in the Bible. I think at one point, Uh-oh. Abraham actually selects 318 warriors or something like it's all that. It's getting a bit Q and on. So, it's all yeah, bit, yeah.
1: You're going to be somewhere on a big whiteboard with some string. Yeah, yeah and some. absolutely. So, 318. You listen,
0: man. That's 318 more people than have voted for me. So, well, but but you would you would run as a wig, wouldn't you? An yeah, old-fashioned wig. Proper old-fashioned yeah, yeah. wig. I'm, I'm, Home but, rule for
1: Ireland. But, but as you, I mean, obviously, because you, you, as you get older, you are, do you like getting do you like getting in the cut and thrust of political discourse? Something I mean, yeah. is that
0: um, of, Well, it's something I got. It's something I've been drawn into more and more. I think. Um, it used to be something that didn't bother me, but uh, but but the, to be honest, a lot of the stuff that Pablo was banging on about when I first started doing the act. In the mid 90s, which was a, a, quite a big chunk of the act, was his sort of hallucinatory Euroscepticism, basically. Mm-hmm. And that, I used to do that because that was sort of, I thought, amu- an amusing fringe activity <laughs> that, you know, that kind of, now it's mainstream. <laughs> now, it's, now it's. So you, you were like <laughs> making jokes about the WTO, right? <laughs> Euro- you know, I used to go on about uh, go on about Maastricht and, I, and be, wanting to be a metric mar- martyr, wanting to be arrested for using yeah. imperial, you know, because that was the sort of, that was the flesh and blood of it. In the in the nineties, it was all about metric. It was all about weights and measures, and oh, this sort okay. of foreign dictatorship. Blah blah blah. And and anyway, so but I used to, I had that in the act, and it was it was. A fringe activity, and now the, the the thing that the act used to be really concerned about is mainstream is absolutely smacking the middle. So I've sort of been dragged into the in into relevance by it, it, by events. I was quite happy being irrelevant. They probably took the piss out of socialists as well. like. Well, you know, oh yeah, yeah, we're absolutely. Although although in lots of ways the pub landlord is quite he's quite an old Labour nineteen seventy socialist, yes. or, or you know he believes in. An honest in in the working man and all that sort of stuff in a in a ludicrous abstract way of course but 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 so he's because he's a mesh of all sorts of things because because after all a great deal of old labourism was quite tied up in a national I, in national ideas you know which is what david edgerton's writing about at the moment really interestingly Absolutely. that you know that, that you've got a, a national thing at the core of of the of the labour Movement right, right, certainly from the end of the Second World War, but but that's a, that's a digression. Um, uh, so yeah, so I I found a bit uh, politics has dragged my act back into being relevant, having been you know quite I was quite happy to whittering on about this stuff to myself and my audience and and not and not really being anything to do with the main discourse, but now smack back in the middle, thanks to the likes of Nigel Farage, who, who you, stole my act,
1: stole your seat, he stole your seat, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, just last thing, we can't go because we're sitting in your lovely study and yes. uh, there is a an enormous, enormous drum kit here. Just talk me through this passion because this well, is something...
0: Well, I've played the drums since I was a kid and um, uh, on and off and played in bands when I was a, at uni and then after uni tried to tried to be a musician for a bit and, and then realised I wasn't good enough, which is... All, I think it's always important to, like, in life, if you're not very good at something, realise realise that as soon as possible and then you can... Carry on enjoying it by not pursuing it to, to, to the point where you, you know, you you ruin it and you in the process. So I know lots of musicians who some days would rather not go near a musical instrument, but have to. So anyway, so the long and the short of it is I met a drum maker five years ago. Um, I was having one last drum set made that I would never do it again. Two years later, his uh, employment changed. It's the, I mean, it's the you know, most polite way of putting it all. And I said to him, the thing you should never say to anyone, well, if that happens, if they really do let you go, you must. we should go into business together. And um, three weeks later, he rang me up. (laughs) Were you serious about that? So we now have a factory in Stockport. We're called the British Drum Company. The drums are handmade in England. Um, uh, We make our own ply. We have our own cold press lamination method that's um, proprietary and not like what anyone else does. We had three people on the floor... Um, three years ago, and we're fourteen now, and it's it's growing. And you're exporting to we're China. Export, we're exporting to China. Yes, I, mean, I know. You know, you know, um, something like forty million people play the piano in China. The, 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 the size of the music market in China, and also their um, taste for high end European products. Um, well, I mean, let's hope we don't touch wood. We don't mess it up. But it's but it's quite a big. There's, there's quite an opportunity there, and and but the thing that's really great is we are plugging into manufacturing tradition here, where we people have been having this stuff designed here and made in the Far East, and we're making the darn things by hand in England. the 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 the, the ply in the shell is so precise it's cut by hand with a Stanley knife, and then it clicks into place in the shell. and There's this amazing, satisfying moment where the where the where the the, the ply clicks in, and then you and then you put the next one in and, and build up the ply like that. And it's, there's just something about the sh- satisfactions. You know, it's, it's carpentry, so it, it goes back... To the dawn all of way. all the way to the dawn of time.
1: So now, when I because I live near Southampton Dockyards, and I always I always think, oh, it's sad. There's nothing leaving on those ships. and now I know, in all those vast empty <laughs> containers, one of those containers is going to be absolutely chock full of Almori's drunk kids. That's very
0: very likely. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah. We have this thing where the, where the where the container comes. The container for for you know for uh, for America comes, and we we have the, or the whole the whole floor fills the damn thing, and then off it goes. It's very exciting.
1: Oh, that's it's incredibly cool. exciting. Um, Man, it makes me think I chose the wrong career path. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, I'll We're looking so- for investors. <laughs> <laughs> thank, you. Oh, thank you so much for coming, bud. It's a pleasure. Um, really, uh, on the podcast, it's been well overdue, and it's, great to, it's just great to share your passion of history with everyone out there.
0: Well, I, yeah, thank you. I mean, it's, good to have, it's good to have someone. I mean, The thing about this is, we could talk for. The, the, there's a time limit on we these have. podcast things yeah. because people have lives. T- <laughs> we, have, we have been lost on a few wormholes. Oh, God, life. it's been brilliant, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Thank you.